Praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight and to have a chance and the privilege to be in the house of the Lord and hear the word of the Lord tonight. Tonight, I want to uh, speak to the church words of instruction and words of encouragement. I look at it like this way, like God's sitting in the heavens and saying, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Because he's wanting to speak to the body of Christ. God has always warned the church and God has always instructed the church about the enemy's plans. And matter of fact, he put this plan into a written form in the word of God from the beginning to the end. And this message tonight, I believe, is one of importance to the body of Christ to take to heart. Because we're living in an hour when we're facing the induction of perilous times as prophesied in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. I want to take just a moment here to remind you of this prophecy that was spoken and recorded in, in the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts. I'll be in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8. And tonight I'm going to be drawing an analogy and comparing it to the events of today. So if you want to turn there, I'll be there shortly. But in this chapter 3, verse 1, I want to remind you of this prophecy. It says, This know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. This prophetic description written is one of the current is one of current conditions now existing in our society. We are a very diverse society, in which, which we have always been, but the difference now is the erosion of tolerance. Tolerance is the ability or willingness to tolerate something, in particular the existence of opinions or behaviors that one does not necessarily agree with. In other words, we may be different, but we've always tolerated the diverseness. Yet we find at the center of intolerance, we find the body of Christ. Where our beliefs, though different than the world's, were once tolerated, are no longer tolerated. You see, once what was tolerated has now been plagued by intolerance. Intolerance is the unwillingness to accept views and beliefs or behavior that differ from one's own. And the line is being drawn in the sand between good and evil. Religion versus Christianity between the right and the left, between the liberals and the conservatives, between the believers and the unbelievers, and we're living in an hour to where you're going to have to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. The fact that a war on religious freedom is a hand in America is unbelievable in a nation that was founded upon Christianity. Now, many don't see it as an issue, and you won't if you're not a Christian, because America itself is not under siege as much as it is the Christians that are under siege. And for that very fact, they are Christians, those who believe Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, there would be no spiritual warfare if Christianity wasn't involved, if it was just another religion like the many others around the world. Now, all this will make sense in just a moment. Now, due to my recent studies of the Roman Empire, which, by the way, they were responsible for persecuting Christians in its early history, talking second century, all the way up until Constantine became emperor who legalized Christianity, I believe the problem we're having in America right now is the same problem they had in the ancient Roman Empire, and here's what it is. 
the Romans had a tolerance of every religion. You could serve any God you wanted to serve, but they had an intolerance of Christians. I don't know if you're catching on to some of the things that are going on in America right now, but there's now more than ever an intolerance to Christians, not just in foreign countries, but right here in the good old USA. Today, if you believe the Bible, you're labeled a right-winger. If you read and believe the scripture that marriage is only between a man and a woman, you're a fanatic. If you believe that life begins at conception and a woman doesn't have a right to abort an instant baby, you're a religious freak. If you believe homosexuality is an abomination, you're a bigot. And yet at the same time, we have liberals screaming tolerance that every person ought to have a right to believe and live like they want unless it's Christianity, then there is an intolerance. If you're a Christian business owner and it goes against your Christian belief to support abortion, yet you're mandated by law to, proves there is no, proves there is an intolerance to your Christian belief. The problem is they tolerate everyone but Christians. Muslims can come into our nation, they can practice public prayer, yet more and more schools are preventing public prayer. They're only tolerant of people who believe like they do, but have no tolerance for anyone who challenges their system. Who are they I'm talking about? I'm talking about the liberals in authority who are conspiring to promote religious freedom for every religion except Christianity. You see, dead gods aren't a threat to their system and their self-appointed authority, but a living God, Jehovah, the only living God, wrecks their humanistic agendas. Folks, our God's not dead. He's surely alive, living on the inside of every Christian in this world. Amen? He's still on the throne. He'll never, 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 ever be overthrown. You see, the Roman Empire was tolerant of every religion but Christianity. You know why? Because it was Christians that said there is only one God, not many gods. Christians who said Jesus is God and Zeus is not our God. Christians who would not bow down and kiss the ring of the emperor or the king. Before Rome totally collapsed and was turned over to the barbarian tribes, it was known and recorded in a historical book that 400 senators of the Roman Empire had no religion at all. And things are fastly changing in America to reflect those times again. We used to, in our country, elect people in high positions based upon their character and their morality. Now that's not on the checklist of the majority anymore. Now they just want to know what's in it for me and what can he or she do for me. For some, what will I get for free? Proven by the current desire for a socialist agenda being endorsed by a segment of our society. For the first time in history, we have a judicial and a legislative government that knows the least or even cares the least about the Bible than ever before. So contrary to our forefathers, who built this nation upon biblical principles and established laws based, on the, based upon the Word of God. To prove, to prove my point, if they knew the Word of God and if they valued the Word of God and if they honored the Word of God and if they knew Bible prophecy, they wouldn't be treating Israel like they are. Blessed are those who bless Israel. In the Roman Empire, the period I'm talking about, do you know it was common for them to be bisexual? In this area of the Roman Empire, they were obsessed with sexual, sexuality. Their public statues revealed nudity. Yet it won't be long, and it won't have, we won't even have any statues remaining of historical figures. Maybe this is their replacement plan as well. You could walk down their streets, and painted on their walls in that day would be pictorials of sexual acts in plain view of children. Rome got to the point 
they got so in debt, they couldn't pay it back. And what happened? Roads and bridges weren't repaired. Their infrastructure was collapsing because they were broke. The cry of Rome, or to say their solution to this economic catastrophe, was to tax the rich before it failed. Is this sounding familiar yet? We currently have a political party that highly favors this same ideal. Rome got in such a place, they came up with a program called the Doles, which was the first welfare system developed in the world. And it started out good. Its intent was to help people in need. But what happened was it grew so big that people started quitting their jobs because they could make more money not working than they could working. Sound familiar? This is absolute history. It got so bad that Rome had to pass a law that if you had a job, you couldn't quit it. Why? Because they had to get the revenue for their program from somebody. Somebody had to work to support all the welfare. Somebody had to pay for the 50 to 60% that were living off the government. I've used all these examples to declare this. The United States is in the same exact parallel pattern as that of the Roman Empire about 20 years before it collapsed and was overrun by dramatic pagan tribes. God help America. They got to the point to where before Constantine became emperor, they were so mad at Christians. They would literally take and confiscate Bibles. They had, they had, <clears throat> they began to call these Bibles the hate book. Mark it down. That very ideal is going to show up soon again. It sounds familiar. We now have hate crimes which target Christian beliefs. They burned every Bible they found. One historian wrote, they put up a monument declaring the extinction of the word of God. Beginning with Nero, there were 10 major persecutions against Christianity that eventually ended with the rise of Constantine who legalized Christianity. Folks, we're in quite a similar place in our nation as Christians as were the Christians of the Roman Empire. The battle we now face is not as simple as they say liberal versus conservative. The real battle is over our belief in Jesus Christ. It's good versus evil. It is a spiritual battle. And we've got to decide which side are we going to stand on. You're either, God says you're either for me or you're against me. The line's being drawn in the sand. God's getting his church in order. Our biggest battle is not going to be a human war, but a spiritual war that humans will be involved in. And the church has got to wake up out of its sleep and out of its slumber. Because we sit in churches and we pray, God, give us a revelation. God, raise up godly people. And God will raise up men and women of Christian faith for high positions. And then Christians won't even vote for them. Because the pagan has got a better entitlement program. While the Christian candidate declares the word of God, if a man doesn't work, he don't eat. That if any man won't take care of his family, he's worse than an infidel. They can't get elected. Now, this ain't prosperity preaching tonight. We got enough of that to go around. God don't want you rich as much as he wants you saved. Because if you're saved, you're blessed. Whether you got a million dollars or only got a dime in your pocket. Because you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ who owns it all. We have got to have a Holy Ghost breakthrough in America to awaken this sleeping giant. So what has happened in America to our Christian foundation is the reason when someone talks about Jesus and shares their faith, they are land blasted by the liberal media. It's not really about that person. It's about their faith. It's not just because they're religious. It's because they are a Christian. It's because they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. 
They can believe in Buddha. They can believe in Muhammad, and they say nothing. But you say Jesus, and it's a war. You could say God and keep it general as relating to many gods, but you say Jesus, the Son of God, and it's persecution. Did Christ not say you'll be persecuted for my name's sake? And every day they're pushing legislation to ban the use of his name in public. Anything relating to the one and only true living God, Jehovah is being banished. There's no tolerance for Christianity. Where are we headed for our country that our founding fathers were Christians? Pilgrims who came looking to establish a country that guaranteed religious freedoms. By pilgrims who were Christians. By Baptist men who were Christians. By Methodists and Protestant men who were Christians. Who had one common belief, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God that robed himself in flesh, left the splendor of heaven, was born of the Virgin Mary, was without spot or without blemish. No guile could be found in his mouth. He walked on the earth 100% man, 100% God, preaching in the synagogues, healing all manner of disease. And with 12 disciples, he turned the world upside down, spreading the gospel. He was arrested. He was mocked. And he was beaten. And he was crucified on an old rugged cross because it was his father's will that he would be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of this world. That his blood would bring forth the remission of sin. They buried him in a tomb. And on the third day, he arose, overcoming death, hell, and the grave, securing eternal life for the believer. Then he ascended back to heaven, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. And upon his ascension, he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to fill the earth. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He is the soon-coming king. He is Jesus Christ. That is the one that we believe in. Hallelujah. Because we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what a blood-bought Christian believes. And by that declaration of faith, the foundation of this great country, as you and I know it, it was founded upon godly principles derived from the Word of God, derived from the Bible, the infallible, unadulterated Word of God, written by men who were breathed upon by the Holy Ghost. We serve one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, blessed Trinity. Come on, as Christians, we cannot serve two masters. And by the documents called the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, which were founded upon Scripture, we established our religious freedoms. Yet suddenly we have become so politically correct, we don't want to offend anyone, but Christians are fair game. We are becoming Rome all over again. Don't offend other faiths or religions of the world. Have tolerance, they say, yet intolerance, though, for Christians. Why? Because it's got to do with this man called Jesus. Now let's take a moment and look a little at how the world looks at Jesus. There are three main religions in this world, Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism. Let's look at their views. See, Christians believe Jesus is the Son of God, 100% man, 100% God. He's the only way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was born of a virgin, crucified on a cross, and resurrected. Judaism is a major foundation of religion. There are approximately 15 million Jews on this earth and if you were asked the Jewish people what they think about Jesus, the Messianic Jew would say he is the Messiah. The Reformed Jew would say he's a good teacher who started religion. The Orthodox Jew would just think he was an illegitimate son of Joseph who tricked people with his miracles into thinking he was the Messiah. Now, the Muslims, 
who base their belief upon the book called the Quran, you might find this interesting of their view of Jesus. They believe Jesus was the son of Mary and was born of a virgin. They say he was a great teacher, and he was. They say he was a prophet, and he was. But here's their big disagreement. They don't believe that he was the son of God. They don't believe he was crucified and resurrected, just someone who looked like him. This is a big problem for us Christians. We believe to be saved, we must believe he is the son of God, that he died and he rose again. According to Romans 10 and 19, that will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus that thou shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, Hinduism is very strange. It's found mostly predominantly in the region of India where it's practiced. The Hindus declare to have three million gods, that there are many gods, and it's okay to serve whatever God you want to serve. You could go to India, and you could talk about Jesus as a god like any of the other gods, and it would be allowed. They just put him on the list with the other ones. But if you were to declare he was the only god, you'd be in serious trouble. Missionaries have reported that when a Hindu converts to Christianity, they give them a new Christian name, and they baptize them. But the very moment they confess Christ and are baptized, they immediately lose all government support. It's all cut off. They are disowned by their government. As a Christian, they are not entitled to anything from their government. Now, let me compare this to help you understand. It'd be like you coming to America and give your life to Christ, and you're baptized, and you become a Christian, and the government says, okay, no Medicare for you, no Social Security for you, no health care for you, nothing. You're cut off. Those people in India that convert to Christianity are so touched by the Spirit of God that they're willing to give up their earthly securities for eternal security. They'd rather have nothing and live in a shanty and depend upon God than their, than their government to follow him. If it came to that in America, how many of us would be willing to do that? They teach overseas that Christianity is a Western religion, that they're right and we are wrong. Well, let me give you just a mind challenge for just a moment. What if this was just a Western religion thing? We believe Jesus, they believe Muhammad, that every culture has a God to each his own. What if we believe we've just been raised in a society where we attend church to teach us to believe in Jesus, just like they have been raised in their society to attend a mosque and taught to believe in their God? And all we've done is follow our father's traditions. We just build and we attend churches because this is how we've done it for hundreds of years. What if we've been tricked? Do you know there's a portion of our society that is now asking that question? Some stating Christianity is just another religion started by a man named Jesus who was a great teacher is being endorsed. But we as Christians cannot let this lie be believed when we have the truth. We serve the one and only true God but how do you prove it? How do we prove the Bible is the truth when the Hindus have a book? They say they're right. The Muslims have the Quran. They say they're right. I tell you how, our God's not dead. And I'm going to let the Word of God prove it. I'm going to make a few points why I know Christians have got it right. The way to prove the Bible is true is because of universal authority that occurs when this word is read or quoted anywhere in the world. You see, our God is not just the God of America. He is the God of the universe. Jesus didn't just come to save Americans. This book was not written for just America. He came to save whosoever. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his son unto the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. How is the Bible so different? It's universal authority. For instance, if you went to a foreign land and heard them read their books, it would sound like poetry or like they were reading a lecture, like a man reads a novel. And everyone just sits there and they listen to them read. And when they begin to leave, they're told to go now and act like the book told you to act. But let me tell you what the Bible says about itself. For the word of God is quicker and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. I'm going to tell you about our Bible for just a moment if I can. David said, the word has quickened me. Quickened means to make alive. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let me tell you about the printing of our book that makes it different. The Bible is the only book you can get up and tell a story out of like Joshua walking around the city of Jericho, not saying a word, but on the seventh day, as God had told him, they gave a great shout, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, and God gave them the city as he promised, and then all of a sudden, 500 people in the congregation who hear this story start jumping out out of their seats, shouting and hollering, because they believe what God did for Joshua, God can do for them. It's the only book that can tell you a story about the three Hebrew children who were thrown into a fiery furnace because they would not bow down to a false idol because they serve Jehovah God Almighty. Even it meant them being thrown in the furnace, they believed God would deliver them. So they are thrown in the furnace, and as the king watched, he said, were there not only three thrown in? He says, the fourth man looked like the Son of God, and he was, and he delivered them as he promised. And upon hearing this, many people erupt up and dancing and shouting with streams of tears rolling down their face, praising and worshiping the God that delivered them three boys, and pleading with God, deliver me, deliver my son, because I believe you can, because your word said that you can. Why? Because the anointed word of God quickens your spirit. It makes you come alive because it is a living word. It's not about a 10-foot-tall dead statue. It's about an all-consuming God whom you can experience because you believe his word. When you take this book anywhere in the world and you preach it, it has the same effect on everyone that will dare to believe it. It's universal. It has universal authority. You preach it in China, it brings conviction. You can preach it in Africa. You can preach it in Iran, and it has the same effects always. It's power. It's universal. It's not been written for a certain generation, for a certain culture, or for a certain race. It is for the world. It's the only true living word. Not the words of a man or a great philosopher, but the word of God. And God declares, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word never shall. It's the infallible an unadulterated word of God written by men as the Holy Ghost breathed upon them. It's the only book that promises eternal life. The fact that the authority of our Bible is so universal, it can be effective anywhere in the world proves it is the absolute truth. In China, people are getting saved by the thousands. In India, in Iran, in Iraq, anywhere this word is spoken, they're being saved by the thousands. It's not just a good novel. No matter what novel is written, there's always a better one written. And what's number one, the New York Times bestseller will only last a few years at the most. And after that, no one would care any more about it, especially the next generation. So can anyone in here explain to me then how that I can have a book called The Bible that is the best-selling book in the world? that started out the most bought book and still the most bought book after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, why it has never went out of style?
because it is the living word of God. Another point of proof we got it right as Christians, the universal authority of his name. And what I'm about to say is very significant. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he continues on to say to his disciples, greater things than this shall you do by the power that worketh in you. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak in new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Notice the power is in his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the mention of his name, demons tremble. And Jesus taught the disciples to pray in his name, that the Father will hear them in his name and answer them in his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. His name is universal. His name has universal power. That's why Reinhard Bunke can get into, go into Indonesia, have 100,000 men and women attend, and he can stand on the stage and holler, in the name of Jesus, be baptized in the Holy Ghost, and 100,000 men and women will begin to fall like dominoes under the power of God. It's not just a Western thing. It is a universal God thing. If Christianity is only a Western thing, then it should only work in the West. But you can go anywhere in the world and say, Jesus, and it'll affect people's lives. Here's a quick story that's been told by a well-known preacher. He said his missionary friend goes to a remote village to deliver food and water and to share the gospel. He says he goes to Indonesia, way up in the mountains. He said it was a place so secluded they never saw a white man. The guides lead them up there. He says when they arrive, they're met by 400 women, women only. No men that were there at this time. All they see is their eyes because their faces are covered. And the guide introduces the man who's going to share stories with them. And all he did was give them food and water, and he began to share stories from the Bible of Jesus. He began to tell them about his love, about his power to heal and to deliver. He spoke to them for 20 minutes. Upon completing, the head lady, the matriarch, lets down her veil which she would have been stoned if men were there, she says to him to his surprise. Thank you for coming. I know it's dangerous for you. We are Muslims, and we have nothing in our heart for this man you speak of. He is a Jew, and we have nothing in our heart for Jews. But please explain to me, as she begins to weep, what is this burning that's taking place down inside of me? Every time you say the name of Jesus. Then her, along with the other ladies who felt the same, began to weep and wail. And he led 400 of them to Christ on that secluded foreign mountain. The universal authority of the name of Jesus proves we have it right. See, another point, the universal power of the Holy Spirit. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. That spirit of Christ in you bears witness he is the Messiah. If this is only a Western thing, then why when evangelists and preachers and missionaries from America go to a foreign country that does not know Christ, have no clue who you're talking about, just as if you were talking about Christopher Columbus to them. If he is just a God of Western culture, 
then how come they can tell them about Christ, invite them to an altar, and all they do is lay hands on them and say, in the name of Jesus, and they begin to respond like we do here in America. They begin to speak in unknown tongues. They begin to fall out. They begin to shake and dance and run. The aisles, they shout. No one told them to. They hadn't heard nothing or saw nothing of how Americans respond. If it's just a Western thing, then why does it work in a Southern country? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus dwells in your American body has just inhabited that Muslim's body. You see, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere, ready to dwell in anyone who confesses Jesus Christ. Are you getting this? It is a universal spirit. And what else proves we got it right? The power of the preached word. There's power in preaching Christ crucified and resurrected. How do most religions teach their people about God? Through books and schools and synagogues and mosques. But it's the preaching of the word that proves that a Christian's belief in Christ is the truth. And here's what I mean. You know, most religions teach their people with books. For an example, the Koran. We have the Bible, which can be taught as well. But here's the difference. You can be touched by our God. You can have a personal experience with our God that can teach you who he is. Even if you weren't raised by the simple knowledge of who the Bible says he is, what am I saying? You can let a 60-year-old man be invited to this church, not a Christian, knows nothing about Christ, has never read the Bible, nor attended Sunday school, and the first time he sits and he listens to a man he don't know preach about a man he's never known named Jesus for 30 minutes, and the preacher gives an altar call, and he is moved to the point that he gets up and he runs to the altar and gets saved. He had no teaching. He had no Sunday school. He was not raised in it. How can that happen? I will draw all men unto me. You cannot be saved unless the Spirit of God draws you. You see, he heard of Jesus. He heard of the love of Jesus, how that God loves him and is for him and not against him. It gave him faith to believe he was who he said he was. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit quickened his spirit. How we know it's real? One word called transformation, change. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You show me any other religion in the world whereby you can lay hands on the sick and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed, and God heals them. In the name of Jesus, be delivered, and God delivers them. That can cause an alcoholic to lose his desire to drink by laying hands on them. In the name of Jesus. You want to know how I know it was real? Because I had an encounter like you, and I have never been the same. I never would have changed, nor be the man I am today had not Jesus changed me. He forgave me. He saved me. He sanctified me. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. I don't talk like I used to. I don't drink like I used to. I don't go where I used to. I don't hang out with who I used to. He renewed my spirit. He renewed my mind. He took my sinful desires. He placed them with his desires. And now he lives in me. I abide in him and he abides in me. I didn't get it from a book. I didn't get it from an evangelist. I have been born again by the spirit of God, but which now I can cry out, Abba, Father. And that's the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. You see, we as Christians today are living in America at a time that's becoming tolerant with sin and with world religions, and yet it's becoming intolerant with Christianity. And it's time for the church to decide where is it going to stand. Jesus says, you're for me or you're against me. So what is going to happen to the church as it is being attacked? As an intolerance for Christians is growing in our world, 
I'll answer that question by first stating, it's already happening. It's happening as it happened in the days of Stephen. Just like it will happen again in due time. Just like it happens every day in China and many foreign countries. Just because someone believes in Jesus Christ, many are persecuted every day. And that same intolerance is growing in our nation as well. Every other religion is being accepted, but Christianity is becoming the target because it opposes every other religion. So what's going to happen as opposition and eventually persecution arises for the Christian? I believe the same thing that happened in Stephen's day. And I want the musicians, if you'll go ahead and start coming as I close this thing. Let me take you to the book of Acts now. Chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. The Jews are told in chapter 1 of Acts that they will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon them. They shall be my witness to me in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And then we know in Acts 2, the upper room experience happens. The day this promise comes and the Holy Ghost is poured out on them. And the disciples run out of the room into the streets of Jerusalem. They begin to share the gospel they became powerful witnesses as he promised. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. They were turning Jerusalem upside down, and daily people were being added to the church. There is a move of God taking place unlike ever before. But then we read in chapter 6, it says, Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, when this great move of God was happening, there rose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. They complained their widows were being neglected. In other words, the disciples were so involved with this movement, they accused them of neglecting their daily responsibilities. And the 12 said, well, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the disciples spoke to the multitude of disciples and instructed them to select seven men of good character and full of the Holy Ghost. And put them over the business of the church. So you see, it is biblical to have spirit-filled men and women in leadership positions. I'm praying our president will become spirit-filled. This led to Stephen being chosen along with six other men. Stephen is just a layman. But yet it says, he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Stephen, full of faith and power did great wonders and signs among the people. A layman. And verse 7 says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Then, opposition arose. From a group of people who had formed the synagogue of freed men. Another version calls them the Libertines. Who were these men? These were Jews who had been captured by the Romans in battle. And while in captivity, they were exposed to Greek influences, Greek gods, and Greek culture, who influenced them to become liberals, who upon returning home to Jerusalem, started their own synagogue because they no longer agree with the theology of the Jews, the conservative Christians. And verse 10 says, they were not able to resist the wisdom 
and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. So they began a plot. They began a hoax. They began a witch hunt to take him out. So verse 11 says, they secretly induced men to say, we heard him speak blasphemy about Moses and God. That's right, they colluded against him. They stirred the people and the elders up with these lies. So they seized him, subpoenaed him, and brought him before the council. And verse 13 says, these liberals also set up false witnesses to falsely accuse him, you know, biased whistleblowers, men who said they heard him say things he didn't. Sounding familiar yet? Then in chapter 7, Stephen answers the charges by giving them a history lesson of everything God had done for the Jews from Abraham to Joseph to Moses and ending his rebuttal by accusing them of betrayal to God. Then in verse 54 it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. And verse 58 says, they attacked him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Oh yeah, you got it right. Saul who later became Paul. Then in Acts 8 verse 1 it reads, At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions. Verse 3 says, Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women into prison. And verse 4 says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The problem for them, though, was the more they tried to persecute and silence the church, the more it grew. Church, be encouraged. No matter what comes against the church in these last days, I'm here to tell you, the more they attack it, the more it's going to grow. Hallelujah. Intolerance is growing not against religion as a whole, but specifically against Christianity. Liberals are opposing the conservatives. You mark this down. These political wars are going to become spiritual wars. And in time, it's leading up to the intolerance of Christians. Our country is being infiltrated by worldly cultures, worldly religious beliefs daily. Do we even realize this year alone, over one million illegal immigrants have come into our country? And with them, they are bringing various religious beliefs by which most of them oppose Christianity. Folks in many of their countries, they would behead us for what we believe. They wouldn't tolerate us. Now they are getting involved into the political process. Now they're even being elected into leadership positions. And the majority will join the Liberal Party. I'm telling you, it's bigger than them taking our jobs and taking our taxpayer money. Soon they will want to take away our religious freedoms that they don't agree with their beliefs. And persecution of religious freedoms has long existed in many foreign countries. But for the first time in American history, 
Our religious freedoms guaranteed by our Constitution are under an assault like never before. You have a candidate that now says, if elected, if a church doesn't accept homosexual beliefs, it will lose its 501C. The Israelites and the Palestinians have fought for years over religion. They call it a holy war. So what do we do as Christians as the opposition against Christians begins to grow? We do like Stephen. We are to be men and women of good character and full of the Holy Ghost. Because if this is the last days as we believe, that means perilous times are coming. But it also means God's got a plan to counter it. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. I declare to you tonight, God has got a plan. Hallelujah. Now, I want to obey the Spirit of the Lord. This is going to be a little different for you. But I want every one of you, if you would, I'm fixing to declare something. But I want you to stand with me as I make this declaration to our opposition. Would you please come, to the, come up here to the altar? I want to say this on behalf of the church. I want to say it on behalf of the church of God that still believes that God is for us and God's not against us. Hallelujah. I want to say on those who believe that are planted like a tree planted by the water and they shall not be moved. To those who believe that they're serving a living God and that God's got everything under control. Hallelujah. 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 I want you to agree with this word with me. In the spirit. I declare to our opposition, and I know you're listening tonight, the church is not going to die as a result of your opposition. It's actually going to grow and multiply greatly. There may be a fall, great falling away, but there's going to be a great end time revival a move of God right in the middle of all of your opposition. Matter of fact, it's already happening. This week alone, 60,000 Christians gathered in Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida, Florida to worship God at a Jesus movement. Thousands accepted Christ. Tim Tebow visited a maximum security prison in Waco, Texas this week. 2,000 inmates he shared the gospel with. Hundreds were saved in prison. Are you hearing me, opposition? This year alone, already 250,000 teenagers have attended the Fields of Faith rallies and thousands have been saved. And here in Popper Bluff last week, 3,000 stood on our high school football field and heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something's moving. Something's changing. Hallelujah. 
I'm telling you, no matter what they do, the more they come against us, the more we'll grow. Because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Because greater is he that is in us than he that ends in the world. They have become intolerant of Christianity because they can't resist the wisdom and the spirit by which the church speaks as they did in Stephen's day under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. They can take the prayer out of the schools. They can take the Ten Commandments off the wall. They can take the name off of the money, but they cannot take him out of our hearts because in us he dwells and he lives and he breathes. And because he lives, we shall live also. In these last days, there's going to be a move of God greater than we've ever seen. And as it was in Stephen's day of great opposition, disciples will multiply greatly. And the difference, hear me now. I, I want you to hear this. Opposition, hear me. The difference this time than in Stephen's day, where the opposition scattered the church, the church is going to rise and shine. And this time, our enemies are going to be scattered. Read the book. We win this time. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Lift up your hands and worship the true living God. Holy Spirit, just have your way right now. Go ahead, John.